The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Yes, Federal News Network has expanded its coverage into state and local government IT. Our weekly radio program serves as a connection between Fed, state, and local IT. By way of introduction, I was the first CIO in both California and Massachusetts, perhaps arguably the first officially designated state CIO in the country, and also president of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, NACIO. And speaking of NACIO, our guest today is my old friend and colleague Doug Robinson, the executive director of aforesaid NACIO. His career spans over 35 years in public sector information technology, including state government, higher education, and IT consulting. Prior to joining NACIO, Doug served as the executive director of the Governor's Office of Technology in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So welcome to the show. A pleasure to be here, John. First of all, Doug, what is NACIO? Uh, NACIO is the national association that represents the state chief information officers of the states and territories. Uh, Been around actually... Uh, 49 years. We, we will celebrate our 50th anniversary in 2019, so we plan a, a big celebration and party uh, for that. Uh, we represent those CIOs in the states and territories, and right now our membership is 53, so it includes uh, the District of Columbia and two of our territories that are part of our membership. Uh, very active membership, very loyal group of folks. Uh, the state CIOs uh, are all uh, appointed uh, executive branch officials, the highest-ranking IT leadership position in each of the states. And so we provide them with uh, networking opportunities and research and services and advocacy around the uh, often uh, complex and challenging role of the state CIO across the country. Very interesting. I know, do you still have all the states participating these days? We've had had all the states for a number of years that are that are uh, full members of the association, sir. And obviously the IT industry are are corporate members and they're their ranks have expanded rapidly, haven't they? And they and they have, as the market uh, has given them opportunities. Uh, the state IT market, depending on who you talk to, what analyst is anywhere between 40, 42 and forty-four billion spend each year. Uh, and we currently have a uh, hundred and fifty corporate members. So uh, all those technology companies that you know and love uh, are all <laughs> part of our our membership. And uh, they are a very, very important part of supporting and sustaining the services of the association. And I know that every year, in fact, I believe it's at the annual convention that we'll talk about uh, a little while later, but there's a report released on the surveying the priorities and challenges of CIOs. And there was a press release today, I think, about uh, along those lines. Can you talk right. a little bit about that? Yeah, so we've been uh, tracking, obviously, the, what I call kind of the evolution uh, and the transition, so to speak, of what's taking place in the, in the, the world of state information technology for a number of years. Uh, today, we released part two of a series uh, of CIO as broker, and it really began over a year ago when we looked at our data from our annual state CIO survey. So those are, it's kind of a component of that. It's an extension of a theme, which is the, again, evolving role of the state CIO in a broker position as opposed to what we have turned the owner operator. So mm-hmm. you know, in your days, you remember the CIO's role was a lot of owner operator. Uh, and that's certainly changed in certainly the last five or six years. We're seeing more states move to a managed services and the role of CIO has become more of a broker or an orchestra conductor. And so this is part two of that kind of investigation, looking at examples and looking at business models. So, yeah. 
I don't want to get ahead, but a scoop's always good. But looking yeah. back a year ago when the priorities right. came out, uh, could you talk a little bit about those? Correct. So each year we do a polling or a ballot of our state CIOs, and we ask them to prioritize uh, their strategies and their management uh, imperatives for that year. Uh, the 2019 version will be out sometime mid-November. But if you look back, uh, cybersecurity number one for the fifth year in a row, uh, consolidation, optimization of the infrastructure, cloud services, digital government. These are topics that are mm -hmm. generally on the list. Uh, I would prognosticate for 2019 and say I'd be very surprised if cybersecurity wasn't number one again. Uh, but the others may shuffle. They always do. So we'll see different issues around acquisition, around uh, workforce, around agile, around strategic uh, planning and strategic agenda items. So there's always a movement, but I think that the top three or four tend to, to be fairly solidified because those are the priorities of the states. Right, and I think you're, you'll be in fairly safe uh, position there. I am. Betting I'm on cybersecurity, not, not, right? Not a, not, a, not a risky bet. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, as you stated, you work very closely with the federal IT community mm -hmm. over the years. Like me, you're on the, the GAO's Executive IT Management Committee. Yes, sir. And you're a regular visitor here like this. I know your primary – I know the reason you came to D.C. was to be on my show – Exactly. But seriously, uh, what are you doing in D.C. this trip, Doug? Uh, generally, we meet with uh, federal agencies and meet with our strategic partner associations. And those are kind of the constellation of the other, all those state associations that begin with national. So National Governors Association, National Conference of State Legislators, National Association of State Budget Officers, et cetera, et cetera. So we maintain a close working relationship with essentially the major actors at a state CIO would work with in the state, as well as the federal partners, uh, Department of Justice, Homeland Security, and others, OMB. Uh, we, we always like to meet with uh, with OMB to talk about the federal landscape. So generally, uh, it, tomorrow morning, we're doing a briefing for our agency and association partners on kind of the future state, What's, what, are, what are trends we're seeing coming up in 19, and that's simply in anticipation of our upcoming gubernatorial elections. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that, too. Right. Uh, I'm giving you those segues, right? <laughs> yeah, you sure are. How, you know, looking at the at the state and local government, uh, particularly the state priorities and challenges, how do you think that maps up against the federal CIO challenges here in Washington? It, I look it, at it, you know, the it, way I look yeah, at it, it when the things you mentioned. Maps you know, closely. It does very closely, it doesn't does, it? Yeah. I'm not sure that the, the list may be the exactly the same, but certainly uh, I would call overarching reduction of risk. As you know from the GAO work, and we follow that closely and talk to them, the overall reduction of risk is a common theme, whether it's cyber or project management. Uh, and, and that's certainly one that's at the top of the list for the federal CIO community. Uh, IT modernization, certainly heard a lot about that with the Reform mm -hmm. Act. A lot, a lot of states are looking at IT modernization, uh, legacy modernization, uh, consolidation. I think the states are actually ahead in the data center consolidation world, have been doing that for a number of years, and that's a common theme. IT workforce, the talent crisis, uh, that is the predominant. Mm -hmm. If you look at, the, I would call it the, the two major points of pain in the states today would be around uh, the IT talent and workforce challenges of recruitment uh, and retention and retirement, and then IT acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, and we certainly hear a lot of a lot of conversation uh, with the federal agencies around the challenges of procurement and IT acquisition. You know, looking at the uh, the state government CIO roles and responsibilities and the federal CIO roles and responsibilities. Uh, there are there are a lot of similarities as well as differences. You want to talk about that for a second? 
I'm looking at, you know, again, I think governance is a big issue that affects a CIO in, in the public sector across Correct. the board, Correct. across the board, because we right. have we have the strong CIO model. We have the, you know, the policy only CIO model. That's very, you know, we see a lot of that in, in Washington as well, don't we? You do. I think there are some similarities. Uh, I, I think the, the, the thing I talk about in terms of the states is to be careful to overgeneralize because I've always often said if you've seen one state, you've seen one state. So <laughs> uh, we do have some common areas. I think there's common what I would call patterns of success or patterns of identity around the states. You're right. Governance, uh, we, our, our longstanding committee is called Enterprise Architecture and Governance. So we focus on governance and shared decision making a lot. But I would say that the, the, the similarities in terms of that aspect uh, are common. I think the differences are the states. Uh, for the most part, the, the more than half our states, the CIO is a cabinet official reporting to the governor. They're all appointed by the governor. All our state CIOs are appointees. Uh, so they, they generally come and go with the wave of uh, gubernatorial elections or changes. But they also, many of them have very strong authority at the enterprise level. And so in that respect, they're a little bit different than their federal counterparts is uh, they are they have a very strong authority across the entire branch of the uh, executive branch. And particularly those that have moved to what I'd call a full unified or consolidated model. Mm-hmm. All of the I.T. staff, all of the I.T. complement report to the CIO. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Uh, one of the things I've noticed and particularly since I've been following Fed News Network, um, I think there's a lot more scrutiny in Washington of the federal CIOs than individual CIOs get in the states. And, of course, I can only really speak to that from my experience in, in California and uh, in Massachusetts. I mean, rarely was there a legislative committee on IT when I was back in those days. It may change. You probably know more about that than I do. I think that the, there, there is a, probably not the scrutiny and oversight, uh, particularly at the legislative uh, work in the states. Uh, if, if it comes up, it's probably around two common themes. One is clearly cybersecurity, when there's a data breach, when there's a potential risk, when there's a discussion. The other is around uh, project failure or spend, because that, that seems to be uh, universal to, to state legislators, is regardless of the topic. I've testified in a number of states. Uh, the common questions are always, why do we spend so much on information technology, yeah. which is a myth. And the other is, why do all these projects go bad? Another myth. Yeah. But it's, again, it, I think you see the same thing at the federal level. There's tend to be a, a generalization of those two common themes around information technology and projects. And, of course, the one we always see in the, in the Golden State in California is, yeah. how is the home of Silicon Valley? How can it be Correct. that we can't do IT here can't in Sacramento? IT. Right. Uh, oh, so it's like a broken a, record. That's a, that, yeah. that is very uh, – I hear that. Yeah. Uh, I hear that often. Or uh, the other one is certainly – uh, this company in the private sector, you name it, this is what they do. Why can't your state government or our state government do that? Sure. Why can't we act more like a private right. uh, company? Right. And so that's challenging. Yeah. But I think it's true. With congressional scrutiny, like you said, right. you have the inspector generals, which is really, it's not totally a, a federal thing, but very few states I'm familiar with have an inspector general. Yeah, and of are. course, you have GAO and not to mention the media. And places like much, much more scrutiny, there, and, and there's a proliferation, as you know, over the years, the last uh, certainly 15 years of scorecards and ratings and rankings and requirements coming out of OMB and then follow up from GAO. Uh, that is not usually the case at the state level. The audit function, uh, for the most part, is a lot of post audit, but uh, not a lot of scrutiny in those areas. So CIOs, I, I think, in most states have taken it upon themselves to introduce 
project portfolio management, PMO offices, uh, uh, project tracking, uh, trying to rationalize applications. Mm -hmm. We have a number of states that are trying to look for enterprise. So they seek opportunities because they have the visibility across the board. And if they see 22 independent professional licensing systems, they're the ones that are going to go to the table, to the budget officer uh, and to the governors and say, we can do this as an enterprise class system. And so we can eliminate those 22 discrete systems. Mm. That's generally uh, more, more of what you see in the States, uh, perhaps in the federal side. Yeah. Uh, another area I wanted to talk about, notwithstanding my personal ill-fated attempts to break into the federal CIO ranks, <laughs> there have now been several state and local government CIOs have been appointed who have been appointed to the federal CIO ranks, mm-hmm. even as, um, even the, the federal CIO uh, over at OMB uh, came, one of the previous ones came out of the state government. Sure. What's been the outcome of state and local CIOs becoming federal CIOs from your perspective, Doug? We've got now, we've got, uh, who was the first one? I think it was, well, Vivek, Vivek Kundra right. was came the out of federal CIO. Virginia. Correct. And so, Terry Takai out of Terry Takai, my California. Yeah. Michael Okaitis came out of Energy. Colorado. Uh, right. Steve Fletcher, who's currently yeah. serving over in FirstNet, uh, uh, former president, and as was Terry when, uh, when she left California to come to DOD. So I, I think they've made, uh, they've made their mark in terms of improvements, but I think this, the the overall magnitude of the federal space is such that it's not as long lasting as you would see in the States. We certainly saw with Vivek anyway, and we had a very, uh, very good relationship and met regularly with him. Things like the, again, the cybersecurity, the open data. Uh, he was very interested in open data and that's uh, continued and expanded. And it's something we worked on. Uh, we worked on with him on uh, what I call regulatory harmonization, which began the conversation. We're still having those conversations today. That's our prime advocacy avenue today uh so it's we, we know it takes a long time i, I think the challenge is uh, in the federal space just the the size and the magnitude of the environment and the ecosystem yeah, you know, your, uh, your effects are, are not as long lasting as you might have on the state uh the tenure is probably close to the same uh, in terms of the the cios and federals federal cios tenure may be even less mm-hmm uh, than the state CIO yeah. today. It's it's a it's a developing, I guess, is the best way to put yes. it. And we'll see we'll see more of it. And in fact, there's a couple of Fed CIOs, if I'm not mistaken, have actually gone back to work in 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 local government. Is it? They have. We had uh, uh, Sonny uh, Bagwalia right. left, uh, yeah. went to Hawaii, came back, and uh, was um, I think now it uh, went to Treasury. The uh, I I think that what I've heard from just in, in my conversations and anecdotally is. Uh, the the COs that that came into the federal space probably had high aspirations of change, and perhaps weren't able to affect that change. Yeah. And they think they feel like they can get more done, get more stuff done at the state level mm-hmm. than they could at, at the federal. Yeah, level. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I always remember when I became CIO in California and be asked by the folks there what uh, what was the biggest difference between being CIO in California and being CIO in Massachusetts. And I said, well. Really, the challenges and the uh, the responsibilities weren't that uh, weren't very very different. To be honest with you, biggest difference in California, everything had three or four more zeros at Correct. the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, that's what I was going to say. Just a lot of zeros after the a lot of commas. And, and so I'm that's, sure that's what the folks ran into when they went. I mean, Terry Takai at DoD is a good example. I mean, California may have three, four, five billion dollars worth of spending, but that is dwarfed by uh, agencies like that, right? right? Yeah, correct. Different. Well, speaking of federal CIO, I understand that Suzette Kent recently spoke with the state CIOs. Doug, what was her message? She did. 
Well, I think we've kind of covered the very similar message. She talked about um, kind of the overall agenda uh, of the administration from her perspective. Uh, she certainly recognized the linkages between um, state and federal government, um, particularly on the, the the funding side. If you look at the current state governments, uh, perhaps as much as 30% of their annual revenue is comprised of federal funds. So she understood there's a, a strong kind of symbiotic relationship. The federal, the state governments are the agents for the delivery of so many federal programs, particularly things like Medicaid and SNAP and and TANF and others that uh, deliver entitlement programs. And those are tend to be the largest uh, legacy environments that states are running today are, are federal programs. So you know, particularly things like Medicaid. Uh, I think a lot of it was uh, focused around uh, improving service to citizens. Again, very similar to the state CIO policy agenda, uh, digital transformation, a legacy modernization. She spoke about the importance of funding for that and making the transition. Uh, talked about cyber and risk reduction. Talked about the workforce. So it was very mm-hmm. common, you know, very similar themes to what we're hearing uh, from our state government. Uh, we we were pleased to be able to talk to her about. Uh, she she recognized the challenges around the different kind of regulatory regimes that uh, impact the states from various federal agencies, and and she talked a little bit about that. Uh, no no commitment other than we're going to continue the conversation and meet with them, and particularly meet with OMB about how we can work to, again, kind of rationalize that. That's been our major effort the last couple of years is looking at the proliferation of cybersecurity regulations that impact uh, the states and how it impacts the CIO business model. Oh, well, that's that'll be There you go. Bringing up my next question. Yeah. But we're going to take a short break right now, Doug. My guest today is Doug Robison, the executive director of NACIO, the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition On Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, I'm John Thomas Flynn. Welcome back to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Doug Robinson, the Executive Director of NACIO, the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. Hey, Doug, before the break, we were discussing state government IT interaction with the feds. You mentioned there's uh, testimonies, things like that. Current NACIO President Bo, Bo Reese from Oklahoma, was in, in town this summer mm-hmm. before the mm-hmm. House Oversight Committee. Tell us about Bo's testimony. You alluded to it a little bit, I think, at the end of the last segment. Yeah, so his testimony was uh, basically uh, around our prime ag- advocacy at the federal level, our prime advocacy ask for 2018, and actually goes back several years. But we've finally been able to, I guess, capture the data from the states uh, and crystallize what the impact was. And it's really around the the number of federal cybersecurity and security regulations that come out of agencies uh, and are documented in things like IRS 1075, FBI CGIS, Social Security Administration, FERPA, HIPAA, you name it. Uh, there's a cybersecurity set of security and information security regulations. Those all impact the states. And as I mentioned, as states are moving more towards the uh, consolidated and CIO as broker model, they're now essentially responsible for either managing or operating those environments from the agencies. They're all now in the state data center. So they're hit with all of the, the differences, uh, which all have the same outcomes, which is to protect the infrastructure, protect the data. And so our attempt is to have, can convene conversations uh, to primarily look at the opportunities to take the NIST cybersecurity framework, and we've mapped it to those various regulations to point out that there's a lot of overlap and duplication that could be avoided, and the cost 
to the states is significant and the cost to the federal government is significant. I bet it is. Now, what was the feedback on that? Because his remarks were relatively frank, I think, and candid. So what's happening? I think the feedback has been very positive. So we've had continuing follow-up meetings with the House Oversight. Uh, They actually uh, requested GAO uh, to look into this in more detail and uh, put their weight behind the analysis. And we provided them with all of our, essentially, I would call crosswalk data that pointed out that these provisions or these characteristics are actually the same and duplicative, and it could be done in a, in a way that we can hope to, at some point, we, we are not uh, idealists to the point that we believe there will be one a regulatory oversight, one framework, but we believe that we can at least remove a lot of the duplication and use equivalencies. The IRS 1075 uh, is much the high bar. And so we're looking to say, could the states meet this high bar for their security controls uh, and meet essentially the equivalency of the others? And so that's kind of the mm-hmm. one, one aspect to look at this. Uh, but we know states spend literally thousands of hours in kind of these post-audit remedies. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that, that, that really isn't necessary if they can kind of have one, one baseline or one marker to work right. to. I always remember looking back when I was CIO and I CIO and I know you got involved in this issue. We discussed it at the GAO meetings at times, and that was that the states and the feds were kind of at loggerheads over the issue of uh, uh, of the requirements that the feds put on the state in terms of their IT funding for projects, particularly in the social service, welfare arena, and all right. that. And it and a lot of it had to had to had its impact was to create originally create a lot of these silos that we saw in the different social service programs, especially right. the case management systems. Is that still an issue? It is still an issue. It's unbelievable. It's been an issue then for 40 years. It, it huh? has. I, I think we're seeing more, and we've been fortunate um, with the work that we did in advocating around reforms uh, when there was an 87 or a federal uh, financial management cost allocation. Uh, they've been introduced in the omnibus uh, changes to that some relief to the states to allow them more flexibility and to allow them to use, again, modern environments. And one good example is uh, being able to use uh, cloud services and external cloud service providers, again, to, to perhaps host and deliver those federal programs that are, again, funded to the states, but the states are, are spending those dollars. And so I think that's some of the work we've been able to do is, is again, provide some flexibility in that space. So there's still more to go. And uh, I think the part of the challenge is the, uh, the funding that comes from those programs uh, goes to state agencies. It's not a, it's not go, doesn't go to the CIO. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes to the CIO through their chargeback model. So uh, I think we're going to have to continue those conversations to provide a modern environment is what every state CIO aspires to. And they're not going to get that under the current yeah, it's the problem that won't go away. Death nope. and taxes, politics and corruptions, and <laughs> Fed state loggerheads over uh, <laughs> exactly. IT funding. Yeah. Yeah. Changing gears a bit, many in the uh, that I in, in the IT industries, folks that I talk with, the vendors are are really surprised when I explain to them the size of the IT market. You talked about just the state. When you throw in state and local and education, Deltec says it's could be 117 billion dollars, which is 20 or 30 billion more than the federal government. It's huge. Correct. Obviously, geographically challenging, but it's huge. What do you say to these federal IT vendors that come to you and inquire about NASIO and getting involved in state and local, the state and local marketplace? What advice do you give them? Well, I, I have conversation with all of my my primary advice is to is to go back to my earlier statement, which is if you've seen one state, you've seen one state. So be careful 
about how you generalize because the the again the funding, the culture, the politics, the uh, ability to absorb change is very different in every state. Uh, and, and again, some state CEOs, depending on the statutory authority, uh, have very uh, strong visibility into what their agencies are doing. And again, the model that we're seeing is much more, as we've seen in the last decade, is uh, higher consolidation. I call the the model a unification, even where the CIO is actually responsible for all of the environment, all of the funding, all the budget, all the people. And we're seeing states, even states like New York, where yeah. 4,500 IT personnel all report under the CIO's office. So the agencies don't have those folks any longer. So the, the key thing is to understand the strategic vision and the intent of the CIO, but also more importantly, understand the business model and understand that uh, you need to, you may need to work solely with the state CIO, or you may be working with individual agencies. And the other thing I explained to them is not unlike the federal uh, environment, the IT acquisition cycle is prolonged. And so build relationships and, uh, and don't expect immediate sales opportunities because those cycles can be very long in the state. And they should be used to it, like you said, if they're dealing with the if feds, they're used, right? If they're, used to, they're in the fed space, they're, they're used to that. Uh, but, and again, I think states are, you know, as we see some, some bright lights out there of modular procurement, agile uh, project and software development taking place, uh, we've documented a lot of that. I think uh, we're trying to shorten those cycles. Uh, we have a IT acquisition reform paper coming out uh, at our conference, and it will discuss uh, an interesting perspective. Uh, it's a marketplace view. So we created a roundtable where we brought in uh, our corporate members, we brought in CompTIA, we brought in ITAPS, and we asked them to provide feedback. And we, then we we've had a set of recommendations around what states should do to introduce more flexibility into the procurement process. Right, right. Yeah, when you start, particularly when you talk, talk to some of these firms that have never, particularly in California, well, just anywhere in the country, they've never done public sector IT before. It's a, right. it's, it's a baptism by fire if they're yeah. not careful. And, and there's a whole set of state administrative rules and statutes around things that they have yeah. to be able to navigate. I, <laughs> I call it navigating the pirate map of, of those things. So they need to know that going in so that, uh, that they are not disappointed. And not to mention all the cottage industries built around the state capitals to help true. people navigate those rocky That's shoals. True. There's, of, lot, they, there's of lots government. of help that yeah. they can hire. Yeah. Um, you know, and to complicate things even more, we've got an election coming up in about six, six or eight weeks. We do. And 30 some, gov I think it's 35, 36, 36 governor races. What's going to the impact going to be on the uh, state CIOs? It'll be very similar to what we saw. So this is the, in 2010. So this is just basically to, to, the class to point of 2010. Out one thing, just to interrupt for a second. Mm -hmm. yeah. I believe that it was like with the open seats and the incumbents not running or retirements, there's like at least 15. 18. 18. Right. So 18. there's 18. Minimum of 18. It could be 18. probably more likely 20 something from my read Depend of things. on who, you, what, what polling yeah. prognosticator you use. There yeah. could be uh, as many of that. There will be incumbents <laughs> that will not prevail. Uh, we have term limited and retiring governors. So we're right now we're pegged at 18, including the territories, because uh, they're part of our membership. And so if you look at, we, we have historical data uh, since 2006 on state CIO transitions. Uh, and if I go back to 2010, 
Uh, we had 31 new governors that we invited in in 2011 after the election, and we ended up with 26 new CIOs. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a CIO of one of those 18 or, or perhaps you even should, more— You should have your resume updated. Yeah, yeah, so we, if we've you already, have tears, prepare to shed them because well, uh, trouble's got, coming. They know—I think they, they know the game. They know the situation, their appointees. Uh, we've had uh, several of them— including one just last week uh, who re- retired, and, and we've had a number of them resign. We've had 12 transitions in 2018 calendar year to date already. Mm. So again, I would expect uh, there may be a couple uh, that may be able to uh, transcend that. If there's a party change, uh, it's highly unlikely <laughs> right. uh, that the CIO will be retained. Uh, but if the party stays the same, it's still the case. The still governor possible. wants to bring in their own leadership team, and the CIOs are are now part of the, the, the cadre of, of leadership. Mm-hmm. So we, we expect that. So our my role is to make new friends fast in January and February. <laughs> and uh, we That's also right. uh, host a new state CI workshop early spring every year. And we will invite all the new state CIOs to come down for a day and a half and get kind of indoctrinated uh, uh, in terms of the, uh, the, the role of the state CIO. And about 18 or more CIOs with a resume in their pocket, huh? <laughs> they will. They, they, I would expect to see them soon. Yep. Hey, uh, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that there's a number of uh, technology cabinet secretaries or have technology in their title. And they also still have a state CIO that reports up to them. Is that becoming a new pattern? Are we going to see the Pennsylvania challenges all over again like we had uh, 20 years ago when I was president? No, I don't. I don't see it as a pattern. I think you know, if it's a, it would be you know, models are designed to be replicated at you know, kind of broad levels, and I don't, I haven't seen that replicated. We have uh, CIOs who have the title of Secretary of Technology and CIO, New Mexico, uh, others, uh, Vermont, a number of others, where because it's a cabinet position, their predominant title is Secretary, so they might be Secretary of X and Secretary of the Technology Cabinet or whatever mm-hmm. they're going to call it, and uh, chief information officer. They kind of have dual titles depending on how the statute, but I don't see that as a, as a growing or a, kind of a predominant. Yeah. View I just future. realized that I guess because it, Massachusetts apparently has started or started Correct. that in the last year, they have a, they did the re, the big reorganized executive order and they have, um, so they have a secretary of the, the enterprise office technology and security services. They renamed the entire group. Right. And um, McDermott, but, but they but they have a CIO as part of that, along with oh, the chief. McMillan, McMillan. Yeah, they have a chief information security officer. Pennsylvania is a deputy secretary position under that. So it de- really Maryland yeah, too. Maryland is one. Yeah. New Mexico yeah. is one. So I think we're going to see um, perhaps the the interest in those titles. But again, if you look at across the board, uh, that's a very small number of our our fifty three members. Yeah. Right. Now, just a couple of questions left. One is the thing, one of the things I, I, the data coalition events, that's what I was referring to earlier off camera. Uh, they have, an, they have a, a group of chief data officers, and that's become the newest chief, I think, around states, or I shouldn't say the newest. There's, you've got uh, chief privacy officer, chief knowledge officer, chief customer officer, and North Dakota just got a chief reinvention officer. This is uh, muddy in the lot, waters a, a little bit, isn't it? A, a lot, lot of chiefs, chiefs. Yeah, yeah, to borrow a phrase. Uh, that's a, that's going to be a challenge, uh, particularly if they're outside the uh, the realm of the state CIO with all these responsibilities that really bump into what the CIOs are trying to do. Well, I think uh, 
the blade swings both ways on that, John. If you look at, we, we have 19 states now that have chief data officers, including most recently uh, Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, that individual is not going to report to the CIO. Uh, in, right in, in today, almost all of those positions report to the CIO. I think the question on the table is the chief data officer involved in technology or are they involved in data and knowledge and business process uh, reengineering? And I think the chief data officers would prefer that they are more independent of the chief of the chief technology function and be really treating as we call it data as a strategic asset is really outside simply the bounds of technology. They've been, I think for convenience uh, by default placed under the CIO office. But I think in the future, you're going to see more of what we've seen in Virginia and a couple of other States where the chief data officer is actually you know, part of the of the general line of business and has discussions with all of the all of the agencies because right. it, it's something they should be looking at. So whether it's data analytics or behavioral analytics or in this case open data, uh, and a lot of our new chief data officers are are not focused on only on open data. That was the early mm-hmm. iterations that CDOs were focused only on open data. Today, uh, they are bringing in folks that are more what I call chief data scientists, and I think the best example is management and performance hub in Indiana. So the, the chief data officer who's head of that unit uh, and the CIO are basically peers, they're colleagues, they work together, uh, but it's again, the sign of the same level of, of recognition. So yeah. I think we're gonna have more discussion about that. And, and I would say in the future, the chief data officers are probably going to be less uh, aligned in terms of organization with the CIO and more as kind of independent officers and, and maybe yeah. even part of the budget office yeah. or some other project or performance office. The uh, experiment in California didn't seem to work out very good. The, the chief data officer was there about six or eight months and left a year, year, year and a half ago and was, they never reappointed anyone else. So yeah, and we, that kind of, that kind of tells you something. Yeah, I there. think we've seen some of them leave in the last couple of years. And part of that is again, the challenge of uh, their, uh, their uh, authority, um, is, is not commensurate yeah, with the ill responsibility. Yeah, de- ill de- ill-defined, ill-defined uh, role right. and responsibilities. Uh, we're almost out of time, Doug, so why don't you close with some of the highlights about the upcoming NACIO conference in San Diego next month? Certainly, John. Yes, yeah, so we we are pleased. Uh, at this point, I report that all of our members uh, are registered to attend. So that's pretty remarkable in that we have, uh, right now, all 53 of our members have uh, not just one, but uh, a multitude of folks coming from the, from the states. So that kind of happens when they don't have these events in Jefferson City or Sioux City. Well, but we, it happens in San Diego. We, yeah, <laughs> San Diego is uh, is an ideal location. Obviously, we will have a large uh, contingent from the state of California. Uh, they don't have any travel restrictions going to San Diego, so that helps us, right? They, where San Diego is not on the naughty list, so uh, for travel bans, so that has uh, certainly helped us. Uh, the other thing that's helped us is this is the 30th anniversary of our state IT recognition awards. And so that is one thing I would point out is we're going to celebrate that. We're going to have our annual awards dinner. We'll have our 10 uh, recipients as well as uh, many of the finalists will be there. We have, a, I think, a great program lined up. They're gonna, we're going to cover many of the topics that we talked about today. We have sessions on cybersecurity. We have uh, sessions on kind of the whole kind of modernization, a couple of great keynotes to talk about uh, culture, and, and leadership. Our conferences are really designed to be, as you know, a great networking opportunity, um, but also educational. So we have a series of, of both learning lounges, uh, and we're going to cover things such as artificial intelligence, and we're going to cover uh, the, the, the workforce challenges that we have, 
uh, citizen and digital government services. So we have a kind of a wide variety of those as well as some um, breakouts. We've, we've moved away from a lot of what I call the talking head panels uh, to more interactive discussions. Uh, the two the two major panels we will have will be simply those that introduce the release of our two major reports. So that's a highlight of the conference is our, our 2018 state CIO survey study will be released on October the 23rd, and we'll have a session around that, a, a plenary session, and then also our NASIO Deloitte cybersecurity study for 2018 will also be released, and we have a panel session around that. So there, the, our, our experts from the states will be highlighting the results of that. So it, uh, we expect another record attendance based on where we, we're going right now with, with our pre-registration. So we, we, we all look forward to having all of our members in San Diego at the end of October. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'll see you there. Mm-hmm. With that, we'll conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Doug Robinson, the executive director of NASIO. And thank you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly, and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Please check it out. Hope you can join us each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 